0: Ira jersey take it away welcome to league one fun presented by the beautiful game network and brought to you by roughneck scarves please subscribe rate and review us on your favorite podcast app that voice you heard was jason jason loads of news dropping the past 24 hours why don't we just get right into it why don't you start and tell us the first bit of news
1: yeah, so for those who are on the Twitter sphere and got to see the arguments all day, uh, it was announced, something that we kind of already knew that the New England Revolution will be sending their B-team down to League 1 in 2020, but also something that we didn't know that came as a surprise was joining them will be the Beckham Juniors of Inter-Miami FC2, also coming down in 2020. Oh, that would be the perfect name. They should call them the Beckham Juniors. Yeah, great. They'll, they'll never call
0: them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like you know, they nickname Red Bulls, too, the Baby Bulls, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, calling them, like, you know, the Baby Beckhams or something. That would be great. Yeah. Um, yeah, so what do you think about this, Jason? Because this means that we'll have – assuming that there's no additional teams, and this means that we'll have just as many two teams as we'll have uh, independent teams in the league next year. Um Is that good, bad, and different? Does it matter?
1: Yeah, yeah so – the way I'm looking at it at is, is obviously we heard the reports earlier that all the MLS teams wanted to move their two teams down the USL League 1, and USL seemed to you know, kind of push back on that. But now with this, I, I think it's one of those things to where I don't think it necessarily affects the play, right? You have North Texas, Tucson, who are teams who easily show that they can play as two teams in this league. But what, what I do think it does hurt, is from a branding perspective and, and that independence, right? It, it makes the league feel like you have half the league of teams that are independent building from the ground up and then other teams who are developing players not necessarily interested in branding You know, their sports teams, whether it's an independent or gathering fans. So it, it just depends on the teams, right? I, I will say, though, I won't be a fan if there ends up being more two teams than independent teams. I do feel like there definitely needs to be more independent than two teams.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. And what's the point of having a two team like like part of the point of having a two team in an independent league in a lower division soccer is to also play against those independent teams that have more experienced players older players bigger players more physical players in some cases maybe smarter players who just don't quite have the uh have the talent or technique or the or the athleticism of some of the younger players right having those guys play against them right it's always having the kids play against the adults right and what happens is if you don't have enough independent teams you're not doing that you might as well just have a reserve league right and that's and that's really what mls should need to avoid so you you know mls i mean quite frankly is wrong i mean mls should not want this and you know ironically what i think the ml uh, what what the, the ownership groups in major league soccer should want is some kind of pro rel um and i look i'm not a pro rel advocate personally but they should want to say like hey we want our teams to compete with uh with independent teams and if they're good enough they should be playing at a higher level full stop yeah.
1: and one thing i would like for usl to do is to set those higher standards right Like, if you're going to have a two-team playing in our league, they need to be branded as an independent team you need to be investing in them off the field just as much as on the field it needs to be an experience to where you have a if it's not a separate stadium but or some kind of a ground to where maybe it's a separate stadium or maybe it's a training facility but it's within USL regulations I just feel like they should have stricter standards so what you said because ultimately for USL I think it is best to have pro row and I too am not a very avid pro row person because i can get into the economics of it for days but i don't think people realize how many teams would fold when that happens but i think for usl it would be perfect and so if you are setting higher standards and because of that you're incentive this pro rail system it makes sense but if you are looking into it right now if i'm an owner and i'm looking to get into a league and people have gone back and forth about this I feel more comfortable seeing ten independent teams drawing in two thousand average fans than seeing twenty teams drawing in two thousand average fans and knowing half of them are gonna be playing in empty stadiums, right? It's just more appealing to know what I to know what exactly the the authenticity and the genuine of the brand that I'm getting and not just, well, half the brand looks like this and the other half the brand half the brand looks like that. And so mm-hmm. You know, I, I do think, though, there is going to be another team bef- announced by the end of this. I just have, I, there's no no insider scoop or anything, but I just have a feeling that there's going to be a team that's announced as an independent team, hopefully before the beginning of next year. We know that, you know, Penn is supposed to be coming, um, and so I don't think it's one of those things to where we're going to have more two teams than independent teams, but I do think that it's not a good look if it does get to that point, even if it's just for a season, right? I think that causes a lot of chatter. Attendance numbers are going to fall just because of the two teams not drawing people, and then it's a lot harder to sell the league. Yeah,
0: I, I concur. Uh, and another bit of news that dropped just a couple of hours before recording this on Wednesday night uh, David Bulo has not been, uh, his contract has not been re upped with the Richmond Kickers. Uh, the Kickers, I think at the start of the season, everyone was thinking they would be vying for a playoff spot, if not actually in the playoffs. Obviously, coming in ninth place, really, you know, going on a very, very weak run of form, not scoring a single goal in the month of June uh, did not help either. Um, you know, I guess not a huge shock when you have a, a team like that. And, you know, they showed flashes of brilliance. We mentioned that on our last show, how Richmond sometimes had, uh, you know, had showed some good run of form and showed that they have some quality players. But, you know, they just couldn't put it together. So it seems like, you know, ownership and management, um, you know, kind of put a lot of the blame on Bulo here.
1: Yeah, and I don't know. I just it's tough, right, because you're not supposed to take personal feelings into it but he is a richmond legend right he's done so much for that club so much for that organization and also i i'm not a fan of firing a coach one year in especially with a brand new team right this wasn't like like he took the team from usl championship brought it down already had that chemistry and experience with these guys right i think he only brought four guys with him from the us five guys with him from the usl championship team and you know he developed this whole new team and of course it's going to take time and midway through the season when his strikers weren't you know producing the way that they were in preseason the way he thought they would he had to switch tactics and i don't know i get it from a from a standpoint of here's the results it justifies why his contracts not being renewed but i also I'm not a fan of not allowing a coach to have a chance to really develop that team and have a team that you can actually go through with, build that chemistry, find the best tactic and have a chance to win. Especially because at the end of the season, they started performing well. They started gelling well. They started playing more prettier soccer. So that's my that's my little issue with it.
0: I think that's very fair. Uh, So the flocks social media campaign yeah
1: so with ford madison coming up first and foremost ford madison they do everything right on social media and apparently their supporters do as well so right now if you check out the flocks twitter handle they are having a social media campaign to where for any time you retweet a specific tweet they have you'll have a chance to win 25 dollars in merch and If they end up getting more followers than North Texas has from their Twitter account by the time it's game day, they're doing additional. Uh, 25 dollars or half $50 whatever that amount is so just a way for for the flock to show off their social media guns to show the support to get the team hyped and know that they have this following behind them ready to pull the upset yeah you know the the, the children learn best from the dad and you can't hate them that's it's a genius campaign <laughs> so good luck
0: to the flock uh, if you're interested you know and you're interested in some flock merch uh, check them out so here's what we're gonna start with. We're going to do some season recaps, and then we're going to do some, you know, best ofs for the year. Um, you know, w- Jason and I will go back and forth with some best ofs and with uh, season, uh, w- with our season recaps. Let's start with season recaps we have two minutes on the clock for each yes. game so that way we don't go over and we, we gonna keep a time.
1: because G- your, bo- your boy over here loves to uh to ramble and I'm talking about myself obviously uh, oh uh, <laughs> we You know, we're podcasters (laughs) and that's like our job.
0: Uh So we're basically going to do a very brief overall summary, strengths, weaknesses, and kind of any big highlight moments for the season for each of the teams. Jason, why don't you start us off? We're going in alphabetical order. So we'll start with Chattanooga Red Yes.
1: All right. Clock starts and so does Chattanooga season and, you know, just as the way, uh, any team would want to start their season. It was controversial coming into a city that already had a team that was pretty much built by the fan base. Uh, we'll talk a little bit later about how the the team handled that and the coach handled that. But Chattanooga's approach was to get veteran players. They were the oldest team in the league. They had by far the most experienced uh, players in the league. Um, but it didn't really pan out. Um, they were very coordinated defensively. They started the year off a little bad defensively against North Texas. And, took time to get chemistry, but once they did, they were fine defensively. It was just offense that they struggled in, right? So this is a team that only scored uh, 35 goals, which isn't bad. It's obviously fourth place. A lot of those coming at the end of the season once they uh, got Greg – or they, which they, when they signed Hurst. But the issue about them was it wasn't consistent, right? They never went on uh, a multi-game game run to where they were scoring multiple goals for three two games or three games or more Uh, they had a lot of trouble putting up shots uh, and consistent shots they would pretty much go up 1-0 and give the ball up they had the least amount of shots in the league with 268 and then they also conceded the most fouls with 440 in the league and so with that Chattanooga the one thing that they really struggled with was developing some kind of a fluidity some kind of an offense most of their goals came from corners or set pieces uh, headers uh, but they did have standout players Stephen Beatty, obviously. uh, was a standout player, had a standout season. Uh, UEFA, their central defensive midfielder as well, someone who was top 10 in almost all defensive midfield, uh, all midfield categories, including uh, chances created, interceptions, tackles won. So just one of those things to where they started off okay, stayed okay the whole season, and then that last week they just lost or didn't really have a chance to make it in that last week because of the Ford win.
0: All right. I don't have much to add to that, except that I had them making the playoffs and then winning the uh, winning the title after making being the fourth seed in the playoffs. So obviously yes. that
1: didn't happen. They came in fifth. One highlight of the season we'll have for each team. Uh, Alex Mangles, best goalkeeper in the league. We'll talk about him a little later. All right.
0: So my turn to go with FC Tucson out in Arizona, the second team for... Uh, For Phoenix Rising, their job obviously is development of players, but they had a few veteran players, including uh, someone who I I really think, you know, they did a decent job this year. Uh, Jason, you've noted and, and we've talked about the rotation of the back line coming down the stretch, which really, I think, hurt. Uh, Tucson's chances for making the playoffs—they were teetering. They were in the playoff hunt until about three weeks to go, and then—and uh, then their run of form was absolutely what uh, uh, was absolutely horrendous. I, I think that they've done a good job, obviously, with some players coming onto their team that wound up playing for Phoenix Rising. So you had Ledbetter that did that. Uh, Jordan Jones was a good get. He had played in the U.S.L. Championship, and he continued, to, I think, to improve his game. And obviously, he was uh, uh, the lead leader in scoring. Uh, excuse. I the, the team leader in scoring, and he was up there in the golden boot race for a while as well. Uh, I think that he's a, a player that, you know, was developed appropriately. I think the, the strengths of Tucson were, uh, especially for the first, say, or so of the season was really their defensive shape. They had an identity, and their identity was absorb pressure and then break on the counter. So you had Devin Jamga, who was another revelation, and uh, someone we interviewed on this show, and he was able to break on the counter. Um, But then it seemed like about halfway through the season they started to shift to uh, a different different tactic where they wanted to possess the ball a lot more, and that threw them off their game. Uh, So, you know, weaknesses, I don't know if they had any... Serious weaknesses, other than that rotation, which I think was forced upon them by uh, by their parent organization. So, uh, so I think the weakness is the fact that they're a two team that you know don't don't necessarily have the consistency of players that you might need in order to uh, to get enough chemistry. Um, highlight of the season, um, I have to admit, I haven't thought about a great highlight of the season. There's a few of them. Um, I think I'm going to go with one of Devin Jamga's. Kind of breakaway goals, quite frankly. I think yeah. you know some of those were, were pretty impressive. I can't think of a specific one offhand, but yeah. Um, but but there was one actually. I can't think of one. There was one where he intercepted a pass down the left flank, uh, beat two players on the dribble, and then uh, and then just finish underneath whoever the uh, underneath the defender was. So did, yeah. do you remember that? Was that the one you were going to say, Jason? Yeah,
1: or? and I was going to say in general, I think a highlight for their season is their ability to probably they were probably the best counterattacking team in the league league if when they did it right so they didn't they might not have scored as many counters as teams like Ford but when they did score their counters they were beautiful they were three passes and the ball was in the back of the net in nine seconds and that's because you know Jangba could take that ball down the side and beat two people so I do think the highlight of their season was watching their counters.
0: Yeah, I, I I agree, and especially you know they were pretty clinical. They had under three hundred uh, shots uh, for the season, which was uh, w- which was uh, be- was only eighth in the whole league, but they still had uh, the fourth most goals. So, yeah. um, so they were pretty clinical overall. So you
1: are on the clock with forward Madison. I am the darlings of the league, uh, the ones that everyone. Loves with uh, it comes to the merch, when it comes to the players. Uh, Ford did a good job of gathering a little bit of everyone. They had international players like Panamanian uh, Josiel Nunez, uh, Mexican player Christian Diaz and then they also had USL championship experience players like Connor Tobin in the back who took well to the city, Don Smart, Paulo Jr. is another name who played in MLS and so they got great experience. Uh, Started the year a little they were on the road for the first three games so it was tough for them and they were also trying to find their identity. Uh, Had a partnership with Minnesota United so you would have guys come down like Mason Toy, Almsburg, Manley and there's a lot of rotation in the beginning you didn't really understand the feeling and the flow of the team then they got to us open cup and they turned it around and that's when they started playing a style to where they didn't want to have a designated or target striker up top it was all about having the flow and on the break of players like paulo jr don smart uh who can play jc banks who can play multiple positions and they were just a fun team to watch on the break fun counters Using their right back and Carter Manley to go up to enter, you know, overlap side so it can free up the middle and free up the other side uh, and went through an offensive tear, especially towards the later part of the season now as they go into the playoffs uh, getting that fourth spot in the final week of the league Uh, the hottest team going into the playoffs right now have only given up two goals in their past five games so they're doing it on the defensive end and this is definitely a team who puts their product on the field just just as much as their excitement when they do for their merch and their social media uh definitely a team that you know puts emphasis on the supporters puts emphasis on the players and you can feel it just a team that basically generalizes everything that you would want when it comes to lower league soccer great and the highlight I would think the highlight you know I would say in the U.S. Open Cup you know beating uh beating the U.S. Open Going the farthest, and I think being the only USL League One team to beat a USL championship team, right? Because it's one to have all the hype, have all this, you know, the social media followers, the swag, but then to go out there to win in the way they won, right? They played in their forward way to where they had the break and they had these beautiful one-touch passes and back heels. And I think it really put them to a level to where people already admired them for, you know, their branding, but then it really admired them for their personality and their style on the field. Excellent.
0: Okay, and I am on the clock now with the Greenville Triumph being coached by U.S. men's national team legend John Harkes. The overall summary of the season was consistency. I mean, quite frankly, they were consistently the best defensive team in the league. And because of that, they always kept themselves in almost every game. Um, they had the most uh, one-goal losses in the league. Um so you know, obviously, they when, whenever you only let up one goal, you give your team a chance to get some points in every single match. Uh, Greenville's uh, weaknesses has been uh, you know for long stretches of the season scoring. Who was going to score? So early on, the first third of the season or so, they you know they kept on uh, drawing 0 or or winning uh, or winning one one, but uh, but then they were able to get Jake Keegan more involved and and get him a little bit more up front with uh, Cameron Saul as well. Well, up there uh, using a couple of different formations and in doing so they were able to put together a pretty nice string of of wins Um, when I talk about consistent consistency they were at one point in first place I don't know if you remember this but back in weeks 9 10 and 11 they were actually in first place in the league they dropped a couple of matches basically because they couldn't score and then since then they've been in third place actually since week 13 So very consistent, you know, losing games here and there, but basically being able to win the games that they needed to win in order to uh, stay in third. Plus, you know, they were the only team and this was their highlight of the year. It has to be their highlight of the year. They beat North Texas at home. Now, granted, they had some help early with the red card, and they were able to score a lot of goals after that. But nonetheless, they were the only team to beat uh, the ultimate uh, regular season champions at their home facility. So, I think that has to be uh, that has to be their highlight. I think I went under the two minutes this time. Yeah, you uh, killed it. So,
1: uh, did any highlights for you other than that uh, win at North Texas? Yeah, I just also want to say something about. Greenville, one of the independent teams like Ford who really took in with the community and not just on the field with the supporters, but actually in the community. Going to events Doing charity um, Something to where They're only going to get Bigger within that community And you can feel it On game day You can see it With the fans They really love this team And admire what this team Is doing uh, For the community
0: So one one other thing I, I wish at some level That they could Dome off their stadium Because they I think had three matches That had seriously Long rain delays <laughs> and, and that You know Basically hour and a half Delays with lightning And stuff That forced the, that, that forced Fans to uh, to Vacate the premises And they didn't necessarily Really all come back and one I think was like on a Wednesday night and they didn't finish till like midnight or something. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, uh, unlucky for them, but uh, definitely a uh, exciting season. First, the premier season for the Greenville Triumph.
1: Yep. You are now on the clock with Lansing Ignite. Yeah. So if you like the style of Greenville, you probably won't like Lansing because it's pretty opposite. Uh, Lansing is the offensive team, the second most goals in the league. Uh, and they are all about high pressing, getting the ball, winning it back, putting pressure on you as soon as you kept touch the ball. And they did it well. Uh, they were a team to where they have multiple. They had the most multiple goals per games. They uh, were probably the most exciting team to watch when it came to being on the break and getting the ball. And that's all behind Coach Nate Miller's tactics of doing this press. Uh, and when he recruited this team, it was a. Uh, priority to him to have players who can play multiple positions and you saw that this year why it was important so when you look at players like nick moon who is in top 10 category defensively and also contributing in top 10 15 or top 15 categories offensively with chance created and assist and goals. Uh, you see it with you know all the high powered attacking players they have with Rafa, with Tumi Moshabane. You just have multiple players that can score, multiple players that come back and help. Uh, but one of the underrated parts of them defensively was their center backs and their center backs abilities to really spring those attacks. And so when you look at Grant Stoneman and Koifik, they're great passers. And because they're great passers, it allows for them to spring down on the side. It allows for them to draw in any pressure and spread the field. And that was a lot of Lansing's attack when teams were giving them the ball and weren't necessarily allowing the press to affect them. And then, of course, I have to talk about their midfield because they did have the most dominating center, uh, defensive midfield. And I was Serta, Xavier Gomez. Both of them had chemistry out of this world. Uh, when Xavier would go back, I, Serta knew when to cover. When Serta would come up, Xavier knew how to cover for him. Um, and I think it was a team effort for them to have all this offense from the front all the way to the back. Perfect timing and a highlight. Oh yeah, uh, destroying North Texas.
0: <laughs> so I Lansing four-one winners at uh, at uh, in Lansing
1: actually. But I will say that for for that's probably for Lansing fans. I think that they had the most uh, the exciting games when you had that Ford Lansing game that came down the three goals after the ninety-minute mark, and then you had. The uh, Chattanooga game a few weeks ago, which was uh, the three most three to two. Goal, yeah, yeah the, no, it was four to three or oh, something. Oh, oh, the like four that. to yeah. three. Yeah, yeah, it was the, the most seven. goals, mm-hmm. most goals scored in the in a game this season. So they're definitely probably the most exciting team to watch.
0: Yeah. So I am now on the clock with North Texas Soccer Club. Uh, you know this. I, I oh I should mention one other thing before you start the timer for Greenville. I forgot to mention um, that they allowed the least number of goals and had the most clean sheets uh, at 13. Um, and now you can put me on the clock. So what I'm going to say about North Texas is, obviously they were the league champions. They uh, they had excuse me the season champion right now not the league champion we're going into the playoffs now to determine that (laughs) Um, you know kind of a slow start you know first couple of matches they had a a draw and a loss and then uh, and then they went on a tear basically in the middle of the season and uh, they went from the middle of the pack in week uh, in week four and by week 15 they were in first place and never relinquished that lead in fact it was almost a given that they were going to be the regular season champions Um, they were obviously play the kids they scored the most goals they uh, had the second most clean sheets with 12 compared to Greenville's 13 they had the most shots on goal 414 had the most possession of any team uh, most passes by a long shot by several by several thousand passes (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they had the most <laughs> passes, um, and they had you know, two of the uh, leading goal scorers. Two of the five leading goal scorers in the league in uh, Ronaldo Damas and uh, and Ricardo Pepe. Ricardo Pepe, in fact, hasn't scored a goal in almost two months, but he still scored nine goals on the season. Of course, one of those was was a hat trick. Ricardo Damas had uh, had a hat trick as well. So, you know, playing the kids was obviously something that North Texas is doing, being FC Dallas's two team. Um, Their strengths, obviously, is the fact that they are able to pass and move. They have a lot of energy. Um, they They don't let up a lot of goals from the run of play, but... Their weakness, and Jason has n- noted this many times over the past month and a half or so, is potentially set pieces. Their marking on set pieces is not up to the standard of a lot of the other teams uh, in, in the league. So um, so that is certainly one of the weaknesses. I think they're, they're, you know, there are other, uh, otherwise, they really don't have a whole lot of, uh, of weaknesses to talk about. And that's one of the reasons why they've won the league. And then finally, we have to talk about our highlight of the year, and we're going to talk about him more. And all I'm going to say is a name, and leave it at that, Arturo Rodriguez. Yeah.
1: Not only did they have the most shots in the league, they're second in conversion rate of those shots, which is wild to me. It's one that have the most shots, but then to be in second, and they're only 1% behind first place, who is Lansing, which I mentioned just a second ago has all the offensive players in this league. So crazy.
0: There you go. And so you have, (laughs) so our our next two, we go to the bottom of the table. Yes. Orlando city B Jason,
1: you were on the clock. Yes. So when we talk about why we are afraid to have two teams in USL League one, this is why. Uh, Orlando City B, uh, a development team for Orlando City, uh, technical director, supposedly Gucheng Weiyu, which I had never seen on the sideline all this year, so I'm just going to pretend that's a lie. Um, You know, they came out and they had a couple of great offensive games. Uh, You had a couple of talented players in Bagro, uh, Graniter, and uh, Thiago D'Souza, Souza, who is one of my underrated players of the year just because he played on a bad team. Um, But the issue was there was not consistency in the rotation. In every game, you had a different lineup. And I'm aware that this team is about development. But then about halfway through the season, they were fired their coach because they weren't getting the results because he's changing the rotation too much. So after they fired their coach, things kind of started changing. They brought a new guy in, and there's politics as to why they fired their coach. Because as you can see, the first team just fired their coach, and he did fine the season. So there's a lot more and a longer conversation that goes into that. Uh, but their weakness, for sure, was their back line. It's terrible, terrible uh, when it came to just marking. Uh, when it came to discipline, um, it just you know they they didn't defend well you know there's not much else you can say about that they allowed 52 goals which was the worst in the league uh they allowed the most set pieces goals in the league Um, They had you know player with the most red cards in the league They actually as a team had the most yellow cards in the league with 70 They also had the most red cards in the league with seven So it's just when you look at that maturity and the players, you know This is what's scary about having B teams when you have these 16 year olds on the back line going against players who are international players that play for their international team and former MLS players and you know players that are probably going to be in MLS in a year. It's a it's not a good look any highlights for the year? Highlight of the year for Orlando for me is when William Bagru had a bloody nose, blood on his jersey. They did not have a replacement jersey for him, so they put a T-shirt on him pretty much and wrote his number on it with a sharpie. <laughs> oh, I remember that. Yeah, That, that was... should be a perfect representation of what Orlando City B was this year. <laughs> Have to remember the second jerseys
0: Uh, So I am now Going to be on the clock with the Richmond kickers So overall summary Yuck Um the uh, they were they did not have a winning record at home. Uh, the only other team that didn't was OCB. Um, so you know Richmond obviously just did not do the job that they needed to do. We talked about it a little bit at the top when we were talking about Coach Bulo uh, not being resigned by the club. Um, I think that they had their strengths were um, they had a good mix of younger players as well as uh, as well as some veterans. Some of the veterans really showed up. Um, I, I think it took a long time and I would say that this is part of overall summary as well as both strengths and weaknesses. It took a long time to figure out where some of their players fit the best within the league. So for example, the, uh, early in the season and the first half of the season, a guy like, like Braden Troyer was playing as the right back. So you had, uh, you had someone who'd played for the team for four years as right back. You had Scotty Thompson who played for the team last year as your left back. You had, you know, two okay center backs and then you played, they were playing, uh, uh, Maxi Rodriguez in uh, in the middle as uh, as their number six but he didn't really keep the back line particularly organized and didn't really guard the back line so you know but you, halfway through the season, they switch things around after they had a terrible June, and ultimately, uh, you know, Braden Troyer ends up in the middle as a six, and he's that mid, uh, he's able to guard the back line. They went to a back three for a while, and they uh, they, they got some results, um, and their their forwards did somewhat better. I I think the highlight of the season, uh, you know, it's maybe some of this is recency bias, but I do think that it was their four game uh, their four game winning streak and five game unbeaten streak. That they had uh, uh, in uh, in August, uh, you know, that gave them some hope. They were actually were, at least for about a week and a half, in the playoff hunt. And then, unfortunately, they lost two games. But they, you know, they had a shot at making the playoffs. They had to beat the teams that were in front of them, and they just couldn't beat the better teams in the league. And without being able to beat Greenville and Lansing, they they couldn't do it. But that's my highlight.
1: Yep, I agree. Talented individual players like Joe Gallardo and Wape. Akwe just couldn't find the way to combine their talents into an attack.
0: Yep, agreed. Jason, our penultimate team tonight is South Georgia Tormento down in Statesboro, Georgia. You are on the clock.
1: Yes, a terrible city, but not a terrible team. And I'm saying this as a Georgia State alumni. Um, You know, South Georgia Tormenta. I predicted in the beginning of the year because they had played with each other for PDL, they brought up a good part of their team. Uh, into usl league one that they had the chemistry and they would play well together and they did they came out of the gates as one of the hottest teams in the league had only lost two games in their first 13 and then things kind of went sour um you know they players started getting hurt there was rotations you had players who had left the germany and then i don't think just ever came back. Uh, There's a lot of different things going on that, you know, attributed to them falling down Uh, almost halfway through the season. They were in second place uh, and unfortunately, you know, went on a a two month, two and a half month losing streak to where they didn't win a game until they finally won the last game of the season. Uh, They lost one of their best players uh, with Coutinho, who was injured, and they just never really found That defense uh, fluency that they had at the beginning of the year, and I think that was the big part, and because the defense was failing, it didn't allow for their offense to build, Uh, but they did have standout players. Connor Antley, uh, someone who I believe is going to be playing in USL Championship or even MLS next year, uh, right back that can play pretty much any position it seems like. Uh, it's physical, a great passer. Uh, you've got Marco Micheletto, who was, you know, one of the most clinical passers in the league, top 5% in any kind of pass or top 5 ranking in any kind of passing, uh, whether it's chances created, accuracy, long balls. Um, and, you know, I think with Georgia, South Georgia, this was a year of learning. Uh, a lot of these players played more games probably this year than they've ever played. It was their first, you know, point of, um Professionalism, but this is going to set up for a stronger second year. And especially because one thing that they excelled at was bringing up their kids from their academy. They signed a couple of kids this year and actually got them to play. Um, And so I think that's the model, especially in USL League One, that you would hope to see. And any highlight of the season? Uh, I think that first game, uh, they were the first USL League One game. They played Greenville in Statesboro, got the 1-0 win, uh, threw the game ball down from a hot air balloon, which is still the most ballinest intro I've ever seen to a game starting in my life. And they've got a bomb environment there. I think that they have something special. They've got a stadium being built downtown. This is a team that I think is going to be a highlight of what we would want lower league soccer to look like. I hope so. I mean, I do hope that personally that
0: they become kind of the forward Madison of the southeast. That would yep. be uh, that would be great. TFC two. I am on the clock uh, with Toronto's second team playing at BMO Training Field. That does not have any lights, so all of the games are played at home in what Jason calls prime time, four p.m. on Fridays, <laughs> typically. Uh, still a very weird time. Uh, the overall summary was great attack, horrible defense. And just not as bad as Orlando City B's, but pretty close. (laughs) So (laughs) let's put it this way. Uh, Their strengths, the attack, third most goals in the league, 43 goals. They had, uh, Jordan, uh, they had Jordan. They had Jordan Peruza, who is a, a homegrown player. Uh, he was one of the one of the premier attackers. Quite frankly, if it wasn't for guys like Ronaldo, Damas and Ricardo Pepe, we'd be talking about him. Uh, we have talked o- about on this show about him potentially playing for the Canadian national team sometime in the future. He has played for the youth teams in Canada. Um, just has great runs off the ball. He is uh, he is both a highlight and also a strength of the team. But even though they scored 43 goals, they allowed the second most goals in the league, 46, compared to Orlando City B's 52. So as bad as Orlando City was, Toronto was very close behind. And individually, they have some decent defenders, one-on-one defending. Guys like Bunk Anderson, who's one of their center backs, is a very good one-on-one defender. But I think from a uh, from a perspective of are they... Um, uh, from a perspective of are they organized as a back line, the answer is no, right? They let up a lot of goals. Um, they also, they also one of the weaknesses, again, I, being a two-team, they had some fringe MLS players that often came down to play with them to get minutes. So you had um, yeah Jordan Endo as well as uh, Jacob Schaffelberg who, when they played for TFC2, looked really great, and they wound up get, playing, getting some minutes for, uh, for the first team uh, to replace some people in injuries, and they looked okay on the MLS team as well. Uh, so I think the team overall, like summary, is they're doing their job as a second team. But uh, but they don't have any consistency, and I think the highlight has to just be. Um, uh, so there there was a Jordan Perusa free kick um, in the middle of the season. I don't remember who it was against at BMO Training Ground, um, and he hit it from about 35 yards out, and it hit the uh, the bottom of the crossbar and went in, and it was just a pretty amazing free kick.
1: I agree. I think that opposite of what Orlando and Tucson were doing, uh, not enough rotation. I think that you had players like uh, Julian Dunn and Nelson who would have, you know, showed a glimpse of, you know, just pure great playing and just didn't get the playing time that they needed. So that's something, you know, I would like to see Jaden Nelson especially out there more.
0: When we come back after this word from the United Soccer Coaches, we'll have our League One Fun Awards for this inaugural season. Stay with us. Registration is now open for the 2020 United Soccer Coaches Convention in Baltimore. Make your plans to join us January 15th through the 19th for five days of coaching education, networking, meal and social functions, award presentations and more. Register before December 11th to secure the best rate. Visit UnitedSoccerCoachesConvention.org to learn more. The United Soccer Coaches Convention, your event for all things coaching. Welcome back to League One Fun. Let's continue with our best of the year. So each of us is going to give a runner-up and also our uh, our favorite pick for all of the following. Now, just so everyone knows, I tried to spread the love a little bit. So I, I skipped over some obvious choices in order to make sure that we had a, a good mix of the teams represented in some of these. Um, so I don't know who Jason picked. And he's if he's w- looking at our show notes, he's cheating because he knows who I picked. So <laughs> hopefully he'll pick someone else. Um, why don't you go first, Jason? And I'll uh, we'll, we'll rotate who goes first. Okay. Why don't you go with League One
1: Defender of the Year? So... You know, there's. I think a lot of defenders, that the right backs and the left backs get the love because they get to go forward, because they get to attribute more to offensive, and they kind of have an advantage. So I tried to stay with center backs. You know, I tried to get get the center back some love this year, and so um, one of the first people that I want to talk about, actually. I'll just get straight into it. Um, we both had the same runner up. So I should have checked your notes earlier. No, that's okay. Uh, you,
0: you you take you take him. You take him. Okay. And I'll, I'll do I'll do my third choice. Yeah, okay.
1: So um my runner up is Kyle Venter from FC Tucson. Uh he was a player to which FC Tucson like I said rotated or like we talked about rotated the back a lot and he was pretty much their one consistent and did well in everything that he was supposed to do as that consistent back uh, eventually ended up captaining the team. Um, with somebody who showed their skills in the air, uh, showed their skills, you know, with with their timing and their positioning. Uh, pretty much ranked top ten in all defensive attributes. But I think the one thing that was really impressive about him was also when he got up was his finishing. Um, And so he went up and would have, I think he had four goals on the year of the five shots on target, had an assist, had two key passes, uh, really someone to when he got up was a threat um, but more importantly, you know second in the league with or third in the league with 96 clearances You know, like I said top ten in blocks top top five in blocks actually uh, a great tackle success rate I think he was just an important player for Tucson, especially during their defensive woes. my runner-up. I'm gonna say is Tyler uh, Polak he uh,
0: Greenville triumph left back, you know was both uh, both defensively sound, but also could get up into the attack. Uh, more recently, he's actually stayed back, kind of created back three to allow the right back for Greenville to, to press a little bit higher and to give a little more defensive cover. But he's one of the reasons, along with uh, along with the organization of the two other center backs, um, Kevin, uh, including Kevin Pollitz, who's someone who I like to and had considered him for this list as well as my runner-up. But I think Tyler, you know, has because he has both the offensive and the defensive prowess, and he's able to show Shut down a lot of uh, very good attacking players deserve some plaudits here Um, He uh, he has you know, I I don't have his individual stats in front of me, but I know that he, uh, th- that he has a very good tackle percentage, and he's also able to intercept the ball quite a lot. He uh, is mm-hmm. able to step oh, in uh, not and, quite, and quite a lot.
1: Leads the league in interceptions.
0: Oh, there you go. So, uh, by a my, good my, amount. My my intuition uh, <laughs> plays out with the stats. So it's good when, when the eye test and the stats combine, it, uh,
1: it's a home run. Uh, so, uh, Tyler Pollock's mind. So who's your winner, Jason? Yeah, so there's when you look at the center backs up top, there's a lot of them to where... They're almost identical uh, in stat wise when you look at their tackle rates, when you look at how many blocks they had. And so even with this person that I picked, even with his teammate, I haven't seen two center backs have so much identical stats in my life. But the difference is that this person was able to pass better than any center back uh, that I've seen on this list. And that's Grant Stoneman for Lansing Ignite. I think that Grant Stoneman had a lot of responsibility playing one-on-one because Lansing presses and so many players go up. Uh, he had a lot of uh, – his positioning was extremely important for him to make sure that when he was with faster guys that he was able to keep up with them and when he did leave his feet that it was successful, in which he did, he had a 70% tackle rate. Uh, he was top five in pretty much all defensive categories and even top three in blocks um, and clear – and. Um, in tackle rate. And so, you know, the one thing I think that made him stand out though was his eight key passes, his one assist and his goal. He was able to go up and really help out with those passes and really kind of spring that lancing attack that was super important.
0: All right. Great. And I was considering going with another outside back at first, but then, you know, I I agree with you. I think a lot of center backs don't get the love that they deserve. And even though their team slipped up at toward the end of the the year for a variety of reasons, I'm going to give South Georgia Tormenta center back Josh Phelps, my defender of the year. Um, You know, just he was solid all year, even when some of his teammates around him weren't necessarily. He was able to cover because he played right center back quite frequently. He was able to cover for antley as connor antley got up into the attack and was doing his kind of attacking overlapping kind of stuff so he was tasked very frequently with uh with a lot of one-on-one uh, defending against uh very good strikers so including for example in uh uh in in their matches against north texas that you know didn't always go very it didn't always go well but he was able to shut down both, uh, both Pepe and Ronaldo Ronaldo Damas, when uh, when he played against them. He had 111 clearances on the season, 15 block shots, as well as 45 interceptions. So, you know, up there as well with those kind of stats for a center back.
1: Yeah, I think he had the most interceptions of all center backs.
0: Uh, that sounds about right. Yeah, just scanning the list. It looks like outside yeah. backs tend to have more, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so moving on. Uh, I'll take the first one here, but the... Uh, USL league one keeper of the year. So, um, you know, basically, there's only two, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I
1: mean, yeah. I mean, so why don't we each, why don't we each me, take them? We
0: maybe we have say, a different yeah, order. I think we do. So you go with yours, and I'll go with mine. Okay. So I'm going to give Mangles my runner up. And, and the reason being that, uh, you know, even though I think individually his athleticism was quite good, and he was a, uh, you know, he basically kept Chattanooga oh. in, a, in a lot of games. I know. Yeah. It, you're going to say that he was number one, but I am going to give it to Dallas J. And I'll tell you why. Yes, Dallas J, I think, had a better front line in front of him that helped him get all of the clean sheets and win the Golden Glove. But if you watch some of the games, and as I was doing my prep work for looking at the semifinals and previewing that, watch Dallas J's communication with the back line. And I think that can't be underappreciated. So my winner of Keeper of the Year is Dallas J because of his communication, because he has made some saves. Um, But I have to say, you know, if you said Mangles, I would not completely disagree with you and wouldn't really argue, because I think these are together, these are the two best keepers in the
1: league. And that's what I'm saying. And I looked at it as if Dallas J was on this Chattanooga Red Wolves team, how would the Red Wolves pan out? And I think that Mangles just made more individual saves and controlled the area that he had to. So when you look at things like protecting the 18-yard box, Mangles had 42 catches this season, which no keeper is anywhere around. And that just shows you how, how he took control of that box, didn't allow for his center backs to get involved. The Red Wolves only conceded one goal or I'm sorry, the Red Wolves conceded just one goal or less in 18 of their 28 games, and he is the huge reason for that. There were so many games that he kept them in it, led the league in saves, clearances, and punches. He is hands down the most important player on that team, and even though Dallas J has had... A lot of individual incredible saves, like you said, has been the one to really control that defense. He still has the better talent in front of him. And because of that, and because Alex Mangels, up until the very last week, was able to keep his team and put them on the back to have them have a chance at the playoffs, I got to give it to him as goalkeeper of the year. But who gets called up by the Guam national team? I mean, that's... Yeah, I mean, (laughs) I mean... (laughs) I gotta I gotta look up uh Mangles uh, ethnicity. Maybe he's got a grandfather that's on the that's our great grandfather from Guam that can get him some dual citizenship <laughs> and, and we can just battle it out there.
0: There you go. Okay, so uh moving on, you'll you'll start with this one. So let's go with USL League One midfielder of the year, who's not
1: Arturo Rodriguez. <laughs> I like, I like how we had to add that just because, yeah, it's it's a little too obvious. So with mine, you know what? I wanted to go for my runner-up. I wanted to go a little bit of somebody who I think has done an incredible job this year and hasn't really got too, too much shine from it. And I wanted to go with Charlie, uh, Charlie Dennis from Tormenta FC. I think Charlie Dennis came on uh, a little late. They didn't really play him in the midfield to begin the season with uh, the way that he's ending it, but... Since they did, it, it changed their offense. And I think a lot of times, you know, when when Micheletto was off or when Morell was off, you know, it, the ball, you know, they put it on his shoulders and he answered, you know, the second most chances created in the league with uh, 53. Uh, he was somebody who didn't shoot a lot, but when he did, he was very consistent and accurate with it. Um, he had three goals. He had 11 shots on target of his 30 shots. Uh, He defensively, you know, came in and helped out a lot um, using his physicality. So when you look at his 56 tackles, you look at the duels he was involved in. The second most duels of anyone in the league outside of Arturo Rodriguez won 239 duels, which is important on both sides of the ball for Tormenta. And I think had they had not figured him out uh, playing in that position, they would have went downhill a lot faster.
0: Fair enough. So my runner-up is going to be the center center defensive midfielder for forward Madison Eric Leonard. Uh, he came. He had played in Australia last year, where he actually led uh, uh, led his team in goals and uh, was player of the year for the Gold Coast, um, the Gold Coast League down there. Uh, but he came back up here uh, instead of playing center back or on the wing. He actually played as a number six, and uh, I think he just killed it. I think if it wasn't for Eric Leonard, then you know down the stretch, the last six weeks or so, forward Madison may have had some uh, some issues making the playoffs. But he was he's always been quietly there we've mentioned him on this show as the kind of this facilitator being able to pivot get the balls wide out to paulo jr and don smart and to start the uh start the attack for forward madison after making a lot of great tackles in the middle so I, I think you know the the attacks that forward makes starts with uh eric leonard so i i give it to him as uh one of the key midfielders in this league
1: i like you spreading the love i appreciate that
0: let's go to your winner
1: let's go to yours I, I want to okay. make sure that we don't have the same one so, so let's go to yours
0: so my winner is Lansing ignite left winger slash midfielder Rafa Mensigan okay um so I, I give it to Rafa I think uh you know he's got a lot of talent he makes very smart runs he likes to overlap with uh with the forwards uh in Lansing and because they're of the high press and the way that he high presses a lot of their attacks start with him and even if he doesn't get on the score sheet he ends up being able to take a lot of shots i mean he has 52 shots that's best for fourth in the league um he has uh um he has the second most assists seven assists and that and and he has a lot of tackles and interceptions because of the way that lansing uh presses when they're uh when when their opposition has the ball so i give it to rafa because i think he's the
1: complete player particularly in that system okay and I am going with Steven Beatty of Chattanooga Red Wolves. Uh, funny that I have two players from a team that didn't even make the playoffs. Uh, but, yeah, I think that despite his injury at the end of the season, to which kept them out, you know, the I think the last three games, he was the other guy for Chattanooga who put them in a position to even having a chance of making a playoff. Nine goals. Um Three assists, 21 key passes, which was uh, seven more than your boy, uh, Rafa. But then also, he did it defensively. And I think that's the underrated part of his game. 21 tackles, one, uh, 24 clearances, five blocks, five interceptions. So you saw exactly his, his movement and how not only was he up as one of the highest in the box, he would also go back to help from... From a defensive standpoint, uh seventy percent passing accuracy of four hundred passes, not you know, not the greatest, but also not terrible. Um, his crossing accuracy too, which was important at twenty five percent. Crossing accuracy
0: success- was amazing. He yeah, got yeah. he got the ball into dangerous areas with yeah. those crosses.
1: And, and sure. Rafa's Rafa's is great too, but Rafa only had you know three successful crosses, and just to give you an example and that's not bad, but you know, BD that have a twenty five percent on twelve successful crosses, it's incredible, right? He was the reason that Chattanooga produced any offense and you can see it with his shooting accuracy too with 60% so not someone who shot a lot But when he did he was shooting uh, very accurately Uh, Definitely a player you wonder where Chattanooga's fate would be had he had not fallen to injury
0: Yeah, they uh, they were right there uh, literally in the last last two games, right? So uh, Just about at the line Okay, usl league one striker of the year why don't I start? I'm (laughs) going to say one that probably people are a little bit surprised about, but I'm going to give my runner up to Jake Keegan. So Jake Keegan, Greenville triumph. He had a slow start to the year, then came on, ended up tied for fifth with nine goals on the year, even though he hasn't played the last four games because of surgery he had to have on his foot. Um, You know, kind of became a revelation i mean really uh he had played in england uh, he had played in ireland rather a, as well as england um he calls john hark the harks the gaffer so that gives him a couple of extra points in my book and uh you, you know he was he was solid really when he uh when he was when he played and i think had he not gotten injured and greenville could have gotten another goal or two it's very possible they could have been, came in second place and be hosting a, a and be hosting a home playoff game this weekend
1: okay So mine is gonna be a little different. So I'm giving it to a Ford player and he might not necessarily be a striker, but because of the way that Ford plays, they pretty much have four different players who end up being strikers during their attack. And so I'm going to give it to Don Smart as my runner-up. And I think that I'd say
0: I, I'd say this could be almost attacker of the year, right? Right. Because Don Smart basically plays plays right wing in a four three three, right? So that's but fine.
1: but he yeah, but because of Ford's intersection, and if you watch them, anytime they break, you'll see Paulo Junior and Don Smart and Josie Nunez pretty much going back and forth between the middle and the side. So anyone can end up leading as that striker role. And I just think that Don Smart, when they needed a goal, was the person that would supply it, right? I think he was the one that could take a take a shot from the top of the box as well as heading a, a goal from a cross. He had eight on the year, uh, was crossing beautifully, had 18 successful crosses for a 31% crossing accuracy five assists, 33 key passes, and he also helped defensively. And I think that was a big important part of him because even when he did line up as a striker position or high up on the field as a winger, he would still come back, had 19 interceptions, had 24 tackles one uh, had a tackle success rate of 68%. I think he was a very important player for Ford when it came to them needing goals. And even when you look at the back half of the season when they've needed goals, he was the one that he might line up as a striker, end up going wide, but he provides them one way or another.
0: Okay, so I'll let you have Ronaldo Damas, and I will take <laughs> Jordan Peruza. <laughs> so if we do the draft, uh, so I'm going with Jordan Peruza as my striker of the year. I think uh, I think the fact that Jordan Peruza makes great runs is his movement off the ball is spectacular. Plus, he's very good at hold up play. So there were a number of times where if USL League One had MLS assists or secondary assists, you know, so basically the pass before the assist that Jordan Peruza would. Would be right up there with, uh, you know, w- in the in the the talk about most assists as well because he assisted himself at least five times just in the last two months. So you know he would do a give and go with someone and wind up with the ball and and. Uh, um, and, and get the ball in a very dangerous spot where he would be able to take a chance. Plus quite good at, at free kicks as well. Uh, definitely a player to watch out for, good with his head, good with his, uh, basically just all around. And, and I the reason why I choose him as opposed to uh, as opposed to Ronaldo Damas is I think that if Jordan Perusa was on North Texas, um that he probably would have had as many goals, if not more, than uh, than Ronaldo Damas. Now granted Ronaldo Damas didn't start a striker, right? where Pepe did. So, you know, it's possible that Damas could have had twenty-five goals easily, right? If if he had scored all of Pepe's goals too. But I think Jordan Perusa is in that same conversation along with Pepe and damas. I would I would put the three of those as the the elite strikers in the league.
1: Okay. I can respect that. So I'm going to be a little, uh, I'm going to be different. Obviously, Ronaldo Damas is the obvious choice for his finishing ability, right? But I'm going to pick a player who I think had more impact on their team and was able to do more as a attacker slash striker. And I'm going to go with Tumi Moshibane. I think he turned the season around. He basically plays as a midfielder, but he was lined up as striker a couple times, had 10 goals, uh, 36 key passes with four assists, um, six crosses, and then the difference between Toomey and Ronaldo is while Ronaldo is a clinical finisher, anytime you give the ball to him, he finishes it. Toomey does more both sides of the ball, more interceptions more tackles, a better tackle rate. Uh and I think because of his versatility, you could put Toomey in different positions, whereas with Ronaldo Damas, you can only put him as that target striker. Um so if I was to choose a team and choose a player to where I can choose my striker and I can put two up top, uh I think To me I'd put up there. I know right now they're using N4 um and To me is more on the wing. But you know, like I said, we're gonna just, we're gonna chalk it up to being attacker of the year. And I'm gonna go ahead and put Toomey in there.
0: Fair enough. So, no Ronaldo Damas. Uh, nice. That is amazing, quite frankly. <laughs> uh, but we, we
1: mentioned him a few times. Yeah. Uh, so, just, we're, we're, we're Ronaldo, trying to spread the love here. We, we, yeah. Yeah, he's the golden boot winner. Like, If you want you want me to talk about him, he's a player that can do it in as a header. He, he's always at the right place at the right time. He's got impeccable runs. I yeah. do think that Jordan Perusa is the better overall striker, better with the free kicks. But there's no denying that Ronaldo Damas should be playing in MLS next year. And besides, we're about to mention another North Texas guy
0: because it's time for us to talk about our most valuable player. Right. And you noted in the show notes, Jason, that it's obvious. Yeah. Well, I don't. Why don't you introduce him?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know what else to say about Arturo Rodriguez. I think it's just the most dominant player in the league, right? There's some people who, you know, they look at most MVP and they think, oh, well, that means the most valuable player for their team, or that means the, mo- that doesn't mean the best player on the best team. It don't matter. You could put Arturo Rodriguez on any team, and he would still embarrass your favorite player. He's just done everything he's just he's number one on all these offensive outside of goals right he's number one in all offensive stats when it comes to chances created he assists you know even shots he's up there but it's also his defensive work right he's had more duels than anybody he's won 213 of them he's had more tackles than anybody with 90 he's he's had it's just incredible what he does and he is the offensive and defensive pivot of the best team and It's one of those things to where I look at players for consistency, right? So even talking about Toomey, I think Toomey turned around his season. I think in the beginning he kind of struggled to find his place, especially with the finishing, but has turned it around. I don't think Arturo Rodriguez has ever fell off at all. I think he's just been consistent all year and has done what he needs to do, and I I think it's just pretty obvious. I agree. He, he was involved
0: in 17 goals for the team, so he scored seven himself. A couple of those were penalties, but he scored seven himself plus those 10 assists. And again, if there were MLS assists, and I, I mentioned this on on our previous show when we were reviewing uh, this week's games, I think if they counted MLS assists, he would be in the mid to high 20s, probably, which is you know just absolutely incredible, uh, just because he started so many plays, he made the interceptions that you mentioned, and he would uh, you know win those balls and then get him forward to, you know, out to Danso or da- to his brother in the middle or, uh, uh, you know, or to, you know, basically to another player who then got the assist for Damus or, or Pepe or whoever wound up scoring for North Texas. So I think, you know, by far, if he's not playing in MLS next year, it'll be criminal, basically.
1: Um, um, I'm, going, I'm riding. Straight up yeah. riding. Don Garber, you're going to hear from me. <laughs> well, you should talk to the Hunts, I guess. I'll I think talk, they, would, yeah.
0: they would actually sign his paycheck. So uh, let's go with uh, underrated player of the year. I I think I'll take this one, uh, if that's okay with you. So I'm going to go with Josiel Nunez from Forward Madison. Uh, You know, he does a lot of great stuff off the ball. He gets into great positions. And, uh, you know, as a a kind of an attacking midfielder, second striker, um, you know, he doesn't get a ton of assists. But he, you know, probably would have way more than the four if they had secondary assists. So I've mentioned that a a lot of times. But, you know, it's that... I think that player who does a lot of work off the ball or wins the ball and gets the ball to the outside, they don't get the love and the attention that they deserve. And I think that uh, Josiah Nunez is one of those players who, um, you know, he he has he's not outstanding at anything, but he's solid at almost everything. Um, and I think that that's uh, that's really Josiah, and and you know we've noted him on this show before because of having good games and you know not getting on the score sheet, not necessarily making team of the week every time when he deserved it. So you know he really uh, he he really does. Okay. Who's your underrated player, Jason? So
1: we have. I There's a lot to choose from, I,
0: quite frankly. See, the
1: thing is, I had to change it because now, like you, we had mentioned him as a. Uh, as a runner up. So now I can I feel like I, he's not underrated if some, one of us called him a uh runner up. So oh, I'm well, gonna who, go, who, well
0: out of curiosity, who was that?
1: Who it was, was it? Tyler Poland. Oh okay gotcha. Just because he he he, you you he gets the praise, but I don't think people understand how important he is and just how good he's been at that position, right? Whether it's for the key passes. like to have the most interceptions in the league, to be in the top ten for key passes, you know, for for all of those offensive stats. I think he's just and for clearances, he's just he's been everywhere and he's done a lot. But instead, I'm going to go ahead then, and I'm going to say Nick Moon. And that is someone that we talk about, but it's someone that we don't talk about a lot as far as how important he is because he is the one, 21 successful crosses, 78% shooting accuracy, 33 key passes he is a player that instills fear into the other team because you do not want him to come forward because of his offensive ability But then when you look at his defense ability, he's just as good with 29 interceptions 25 clearances a 67 percent tackle rate 22 tackles won so it's one of those things to where I think he is one of the most dominant players, but because he's not showing up on the stat sheet necessarily, you don't see that, right? He's the more of, you know, he has six goals, so when he comes up and wants to score, he can. But he's one of those, okay, when I come up, I'm going to combine with these one-two touches. I'm going to draw in two defenders to open it up for other players, and I just don't think that gets enough credit. I don't think his off-the-ball movements, I don't think his defensive work is getting enough credit. So you can be... You can get credit, but I'm still thinking he's underrated because he's not getting enough. If he's not on your all-star team, which when I hear people talk about him and talk about Lansing, we do talk about Rafa. We do talk about Toomey. Nick Moon should be a top two person we're speaking about when we're talking about Lansing.
0: Sounds good. So we're going to spend about a minute each on our moments of the year. So Jason, tell me, what did you think was the best goal of the year?
1: Yeah, so the best goal is definitely Joey G of Richmond Kickers going through all of Tormenta. It was just absolutely wild to see one player take on the whole team like it was a a little little Giants or some kind of a kid's movie and embarrass everybody. Um, That whole game was obviously just a, a moment, right? You had two or three goals in that game that could have been goal of the year. It had to be that one for me.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I agree. And you know, it didn't even win goal of the week, um, but it really was an amazing, an amazing goal for, and you know, really the highlight probably of the Richmond Kickers' season. Quite frankly, Um, I should have mentioned that before. Uh, so my mine was the fastest goal in league history. I mean, which was actually against the Richmond Kickers. <laughs> so in North Texas, uh, you know, just the ball. Uh, the Richmond Kickers tried to get the ball forward. It was won, I think, actually by Breck Evans. The ball ends up on the outside wing with Richard Danso, and he crosses it in to Ronaldo Damas, who just heads it heads it home, in be, running in between the two center backs. And you know, 20 seconds into the game. That was it. Uh, you know, it was a it was a goal. All of that in 20 seconds, uh, you know, kind of sums up, I think, North Texas's season as well as uh, Richmond season, quite frankly, very nicely in that one goal. Uh, so that was my best goal. Uh, Jason, why don't uh, why don't you do best assist and then
1: I'll do uh, and then I'll do mine. Yes. Yeah, so I talked about it earlier in the game. Most goals scored in one game. Lansing Ignite in uh, Chattanooga Red Wolves, and, you know, as a striker, you expect some some good maybe give and goes, maybe a back heel or two, but nothing too vital, but I got to give it to Pato Curry of Lansing Ignite just dominating that first half with dishing the balls off. And my favorite assist of the year, you watch him on the break. You've got Tumi Moshebani running on his side, and he's not looking at that side at all. He's keeping his eyes on the right side the whole time, who is watching a player make a run. And so the defenders who are staring at him are obviously going towards the right, saying, okay, I'm going to block off you know this this pass and cut off the passway, and then he just has a cross body no look pass to Toomey, who I they had to practice this because the way Toomey the way that Tumi is not shocked, the way the rest of the world was is absolutely I don't understand how you aren't because there's not a single second that Pato even acknowledged that Toomey was in the area, and so I've probably watched that a hundred times, and I, I love it.
0: So for me, my best assist goes way back into April. It was South Georgia Tormenta was hosting FC Tucson, uh, and uh, the ball got out, was out on the right touchline about 25 yards from goal. Connor Antley dribbles past one defender, splits two other defenders, gets a burst of speed to the end line, and then cuts the ball back. To Lucas Coutinho, who just who finishes. It was an okay finish, but at the end of the day, Connor Antley got three assists in that game. You know, but that first assist really showed us what kind of a special player Connor Antley was going to be. And South Georgia Tormenta has a gem there. Uh, You know, he played in college. If South Georgia Tormenta didn't exist, Connor probably would not be playing professional soccer. He'd be, you know, working for you, Jason, as in a marketing department somewhere or something. I mean, he would would not be playing professional soccer. And we deserve to see him because he is good. And he is going to get on another team. And we're going to talk about him later, I hope. Uh, But that is my assist of the season. Okay. All right. Uh, so why don't I start with best celebration? So I'm going to go – I switched this a little bit because uh, I wound up talking about uh, another really interesting celebration that I thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, but I, I moved that to one of our other categories. And I'm going to say Elma Enfor's uh, breakdance spin – He he scores a goal he go runs to the corner does a i don't know what they call the breakdance spin move you think i would because like my <laughs> brother did breakdancing and stuff when you know in the 80s Yeah, you know. uh but he did a uh, he did a spin move spins on his head one full rotation and jumps up onto his feet i don't know how he did it without hurting himself but it was an amazing celebration and if you haven't seen it go back and look at the highlights from Lansing's games it was a home game for Lansing i i, I want to say it was in uh it was in july or august it was while they were starting that really good run of form that they had uh toward the end uh, toward that middle part of the season uh but that is my best celebration of the year okay jason yours
1: yeah uh you saw it not too long ago um i believe it was ford madison versus uh north texas and connor tobin jumping into the crowd celebrating with the flock and it wasn't a monumentous goal or anything like that. It wasn't, you know, this this big deal, but just to see the passion, right? This is a man that has been playing USL for years. This is a man that's been around. And to see the passion that he had in his eyes and how much it meant to him as a player and celebrating with the fans and how much it meant to them. I think that's just the embodiment of what we would want this league to be. And I think that was a really special celebration and goal. Um, and I, you know, I watched it and, you know, I had a thug tear in my eye just looking at something like that because this is exactly when this league was announced, what I would want to see.
0: That was a, that was great. And, you know, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that because, you know, we're, you know, th- this is the kind of league that we hope will, you know, when we say hashtag support local soccer, we mean it. And it's those types of celebrations where the fans get involved that really make that happen and make, uh, make lower division soccer really, really special. So let's go on to the best story. Jason, your best story of the year. This isn't necessarily happiest story, but this no. is the best story of the year. Yeah.
1: Yeah, And you know, like, like I said, another thing about this league, um, you know, when, When Continuo got hurt for South Georgia Tormenta, obviously a very scary moment. Had to be airlifted, I believe. And one of the things that the league did was flew his parents up to see him. And I thought that was just something that I have never heard of from another league doing. I've never seen, you know, anything on the news about that. And it just shows how much the league cares about the players, how much the fans care and, you know, torment this whole campaign of showing him love, getting literally some of the greatest players in the world to send in videos, wishing him to get well. It was just a, it was a sad moment, but a special moment to see how, you know, a, a league and a team could take something so tragic and turn it around. And I think that was just a great story this year.
0: I agree. That, that's w- one of the great stories. And that's actually one that I was going to bring up, uh, except you beat me to it. Uh, so my best story of the year actually occurred on this show. Um, and maybe this is some recency bias of my own. But a couple of months ago, we inter- did some uh, interviews with Lansing Ignite where I talked to Alma Enfor. And basically the story about how he became a professional player. Because this is a, a guy who played Division II college soccer. So, you know, Division Two does not churn out a whole lot of professional-level players. Wound up playing in a Sunday league for uh, for for a, a season. And then wound up going on trial with the Charlotte Independents. The Independents picked him up for preseason. He did his whole entire preseason with the Charlotte Independents this year. Got cut very late and said, hey, guys, what am I going to do? You know, you guys... Had me. I couldn't go. I couldn't go try uh, go on trial elsewhere because I thought I was with you. They made some calls. Nate Miller called, asked him to come out for a tryout. Nate was obviously impressed. Ends up on the team. Halfway through the season, he's a regular starter, and he's really shown some wonderful stuff this season. So, uh, for me, that's my best story. Just you know, this this guy just you know living his uh, dream to be a professional footballer.
1: I agree. That's a. It's a. It's incredible.
0: Yeah. Jason, why
1: don't you start us with the spiciest (laughs) thing that happened this season? I can do that. And so to this day, I don't know if it was just a lack of information or or he's actually trying to be spicy and mocking. But it started even before this season. When they announced Tim Hankinson as coach as the Chattanooga Red Wolves and in his press conference, he said he wanted to shout out the Chattahooligans so they know that they are just as vital to this team's success as anyone else, which literally just destroyed uh, uh, support local soccer Twitter, just absolutely probably two probably number three of the top 10 worst things he could have said as his introduction and yeah it was just (laughs) i even though people are like oh he didn't know he thought nah i think he did know and i think he was trying to be a little spicy and if he wasn't that's what i'm telling myself because that spiciness helps me sleep at night
0: so mine is going to be actually uh jc banks uh celebration when forward madison scored against lansing ignite in lansing and jc banks went up uh, it was a tying goal jc banks goes to the corner flag and shows some disrespect to lansing by wiping his forehead his sweaty forehead in the 90th minute on the lansing ignite corner flag um you know, I've never seen that before personally, but I uh, I thought it was a little spicy. And unfortunately for him, it maybe brought up some bad karma and,
1: <laughs> and Nancy
0: wound up scoring the winner just a couple of minutes later. But uh, but anyway, that's, uh, that is my spice for this. It's a good one.
1: That's yeah. a good one.
0: All right. So we have a couple of fan questions, and then we'll get out of here because this is going to be uh, between this show and the USL show. This is like our fourth hour of recording this week, I think.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so. So, fan questions. What's our first question, Jason? Fan question from EFE001. I'm sure that is some coding word that I'm not going to know, or it's a color. Um,
0: is, it, is it 3PO1? 3-P- it's supposed to be like 3PO1, except it's 3PO1. 3 3-
1: F-E-00 boy, y'all pump. are some nerds, boy. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, so yeah, Mister Star Wars over here. Which fan bases are most fun? Which games did the fans actually make a difference? And what obstacles? are I'm sorry, I'll stay. I'll stay with that, and then he has another question. So I'll start with this. Uh, I think the, all a lot of the fan bases were fun. You know, I don't think there's obviously. Ford has a social media. Lansing does a great job at, you know, given the back and forth with Ford and other teams. I think that they show their passion and even with the tailgate that the flock and assembly line just had last week, it shows, you know, that they're, they're great at, you know, being spicy online, but then coming together. But I do want to say that the games that the fans actually made a difference was the first game that North Texas went to Madison and lost And you saw Captain Breck Evans afterwards kind of have that rude awakening and say, like, yeah, I've never played – In any kind of a situation like that that was wild and that threw me off and I think that might have been North Texas first loss of the whole year uh, When that happened and so uh, I think that was when the fans made a difference because it's one to have passionate fans But then it's another for the players to go out their way to say yeah, that was something completely different I I agree. I I
0: think the fans make a difference to the home uh, to the home team and In almost any situation where they're loud, you know, even in Richmond, you know, even even though richmond didn't have a winning record at home they you know they have loud fans the same thing in greenville and south georgia i mean just about everywhere i think the fans make a difference at home so that's when they they actually make a difference because the players know that they're cheering for you right it's and and the other team knows that you, they're not cheering for you <laughs> so i think they <laughs> the, make a difference the,
1: the crickets at the orlando city b games making those noises during the free kicks to distract the opponents uh, <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah.
0: So, so fan base is the most fun. So, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go here and again. Maybe this is a, a little bit of homerism, but I'm gonna say the the Richmond Kickers fans. I mean, coming up with ideas like the Henny Cup, um, <laughs> you know, and things like that that are just done organically between between the fan bases. I mean, that's just that's just fun stuff, right? And and so I hope that the fan bases and and the supporters groups and all of the teams end up being cordial and actually, you know, getting along and having friendly banter as opposed to, you know, being contentious. Because, you know, we're we're not, we shouldn't be the soccer culture that you have, you know, with hooliganism and stuff like that. That just, you know, yes, people do that, but you don't have to hate your opponent. You just have to, you know, you hate them for the 90 minutes you're playing, but otherwise they're just soccer fans and, And
1: and we should all do that. And one thing I want to bring up, you know, and it might be not a popular opinion. I don't know how fans are with their team, but when it comes to MLS 2 teams coming down, I know a lot of fans are a little hesitant because they're looked at as MLS teams. They're not independent teams. They're not really cared about with the fans. But if those teams have a fan base that actually comes and shows up, then it should be one of those things to where you should treat the fans, at least as it's an independent team, right? Because the fans have nothing to do with the front office. The fans are there to support the team. They probably want to support the kids that will eventually play, you know, hopefully professional for their team. And they treat that team separate, right? Like I go to Atlanta two games and I don't treat it as if it's Atlanta United baby game right like the kids game i treat it as atlanta united 2 is a whole separate team these kids have whole separate lives coaches and you know i treat it like that and so it'd be nice to see the fans come together and even if mls two sides are front office ran or however they want to say it sometimes the fans genuinely just want to see the players grow and to do something better and so i think that other fans should respect that and come together for it that's just me.
0: So, with that take, why don't we move on to the next part of this question? So, what obstacles did coaches have this season, and are any on the hot seat? So, uh, well, obviously, we know David Gulo yeah. was on the hot seat and, that, and
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, got a little burned. I, I think one of the biggest obstacles, p- particularly for uh, for the the new teams, the independent teams, uh, you know, even a Richmond, was really g- having having enough time to get your players together and create that chemistry. Because I think for a lot of teams, like even early in the season, it, the teams that had played together and had, you know, had, Consistent coaching and consistent playing time together, like the tormentas of the world, and obviously North Texas, they had a significant advantage for the first, you know, five ten weeks of the season. Uh, it really because you saw teams like Lansing, they did they got better as the season went on because they got used to playing in that style. Uh, forward Madison, the same thing. Although forward, I think also I think they played okay. Their, their problem, quite frankly, was fixture congestion with the U.S. Open Cup. That was a part of their problem in May, but. Uh, But I I think that's and and that's always going to be the issue. I mean, that's going to be the issue for Richmond now because now they don't have a coach. Who's going to go out? Who's going to start the scouting? Do the recruiting? Um, it, you know, you can't just start in January or February building a team. You have to start building the team in the middle of the season before. You have to know what you're going to bring in. And I, I think, I think going forward, I think if I think that, so I do think John Harkes and Nate Miller and uh, um, and Daryl Shore. I mean, just the fact that their teams made the playoffs, I think that that means that they're safe, and that might actually do the those teams very well next year. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Do you have any significant uh, different yeah, yeah. opinion, no. Jason?
1: You you've I said think, everything. Yeah. And then when you look at the standings, you know, I think obviously Chattanooga has a new coach. Um, the only other independent team outside of Richmond that's low in the standings is, you know, Tormenta at six. And I think that – I don't I don't see – I think because of injuries, I think because of everything that's, you know, happened with Tormenta, I think John Miller AC is fine. Um, and I think all the two coaches – have the benefit of because there are two coach having that lean way, um, except for Orlando. And like I said, I think that's just because their owners are idiots. Yeah, <laughs> fair <laughs> enough. All right, uh, you want to read off our next question? Yes, uh, me pull it up. It is from B M um, uh, Wessendorf on Twitter. Uh, he said, which players Wait, that's, are That's at-
0: not Weston Shelton, is it? No, 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 no. Okay. This
1: is this is an act. Trust me. I, I, <laughs> not his burner account. You know, I checked him out. We had a conversation. I was like, you know, how how do you feel about uh, of Madison? And he was like, oh, yeah, I've heard it, it's beautiful there. And I was like, OK, we're we're fine. So um, but he said, which players are at risk of being signed to USL championship and MLS? And so. I told you for this, let's go ahead and just make a list of five players outside of two teams that we think have a, a great chance of moving up to championship or MLS. So let's go ahead and just run those off real quick.
0: Okay. So uh, on my list, so, and, and we, we tried not to, basically we have 10 and I think we all agree on these 10, Yes. Um. you know, pretty much. And and we're probably missing one or two, but for me, I'm going to say Tyler Pollock, he, uh, you know, outside back for Greenville. Rafa Mensigan from Lansing mentioned him before. Uh, Christian Diaz, also another outside back. Uh, you know, interesting. You know, we have a lot of outside ooh, backs ooh. on this list. I can guess, I you know, can I
1: change can I change my underrated player of the year to him? That's actually a good. Yeah, one.
0: that's a good one. I don't one. know why yeah. I didn't do that.
1: That's an extremely <laughs> good one. <Ugh. laughs> uh,
0: so Dallas J, You know, I I you know he
1: he's actually has Dallas played in the championship before? I think he did, right? Yes. Um, I think yeah. So he I think he played under Coach Harks at, at Cincinnati, but I don't Cincinnati. know if he right. actually played. I think he might have been a backup keeper. I don't okay, know if he actually you. played games.
0: Yeah, yeah, or or if he did, he got spot minutes or something. Right. Yeah, and then uh, and then you know someone who you mentioned before, Charlie Dennis. I mean, a, again, a good attacker, kind of can play in multiple positions as well. Um, you know, s- second most chances created in the league. You know, it's it's hard to say. Like if you're a championship team and you need, yeah, you know, you even if it's just someone off the bench to create a spark. I mean, Charlie's a good guy to do that.
1: So. And and built for for a, you know a higher division, right? Physical player can take a bump and stay on the ball i think yeah like we agree he's ready i agree all right jason your turn yes i've got uh staying with tormenta got connor antley somebody We talked about, we praise a lot, someone who can intercept the ball, but then also has the passing ability and the scoring ability to move forward. Uh, Nick Moon, who, you know, a little bit of the same kind of player, uh, you know, somebody who can do it on both sides defensively and offensively. Uh, Josiel Nunez, which you had talked about, you know, a player who all around can do everything and is a great free kick taker. Uh, Grant Stoneman, my defensive player of the year. I think he's someone easily ready for the jump. Looking at his, you know, and a lot of times I was looking at these players age too so a lot of these players are on the younger side and then uh you know i think a player that deserves some shine is uh aqua from richmond kickers we don't talk about him too too much because of richmond's you know position and their the results but aqua did it all this year and they started at center back went to midfield they pushed you know plugged them in wherever he could and he dominated the team in pretty much all stats especially on the defensive side so i think with his athleticism he's definitely ready for a jump
0: so the so the one obvious player maybe that we missed was joe gallardo from richmond as well so you mm. know someone he he got your your goal of the year you know he so did. Wh- I'm not allowed- why, why not so my, my last question to you why not joe
1: i'm never i'm not allowed to say anything Thing negative
0: um okay well I, i'll say why not okay. joe it's because he's not a complete player i mean at the end of the day he's just he's not a complete player and uh he has a lot of good skills and talent but i think his soccer iq needs to be improved a lot and his vision needs to needs to improve and so and part of that is uh, again part of that is chemistry i think part of it just knowing where your teammates are going to run and then being able to get it to to them instead of turning your back on them and trying to dribble the ball around five players and you know which every once in a while works but uh, most of the time it doesn't so jason anything else tonight
1: i can't believe i i missed christian diaz that was the perfect underrated player choice i'm just embarrassed <laughs> this is like when i let you don smart in our draft earlier this year i don't know how i'm letting these things happen well, I, missed,
0: <laughs> I i missed uh, christian diaz too but at least he made the list and we got to talk about him a yes. little bit so.
1: yes all right jason where can people connect with you You can connect with me at HomeSuiteSoccer. I got a lot. I think I've got two or three different articles coming out, uh, including five of the best players who are not in the playoffs. Definitely something you should read on USL's website, or League One's website, I should say, uslleague1.com. And yeah, let me know who I missed. I can be found at Ira Jersey
0: and you can connect with the show on Twitter at League One and that's League and the number one fun. Thank you for listening. Please rate and review us wherever you get your podcast and check out BGN.FM for other great soccer podcasts and written content for basically soccer in the U.S. I mean, whatever you want to do. And they have a little Premier League stuff there, too, but I ignore it. Uh, Thanks to our sponsors, Roughneck Scarves, the official scarf supplier of MLS, USL, and US Soccer. Get your custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. Until next time, hashtag support local soccer.